This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. not been one of the people over the last three or four years that is uh, that has picked on Joe Biden unfairly. Um, a, a lot of people like to mock him. I, I, I have never really been that guy. That I actually tend to think that on a personal level, Joe Biden's probably a pretty decent person, right? That being said, I've observed this on the radio and people think that I'm playing politics, and I'm not. I'm not trying to do that at all. It's very clear he has diminished capacity. Cognitively, he is not where he used to be. We played you the audio the other day of him confusing the current president of France with the president of France that died in 1996. We now learn that he did the same thing with the chancellor of Germany. Rather than refer to the current chancellor of Germany, he referred to a person that hasn't been chancellor of Germany in years. Now, campaigns are stressful. The hours are difficult, especially when you add in travel. He's going all over the place. That happens. Not like this. I don't think we've ever seen a president in the television age that has demonstrated repeatedly this degree of cognitive issues, mental infirmity. I don't know what you want to call it, but I think it's concerning, not only for him, but for the country. So then yesterday, the special counsel, Robert Herr, comes out with his report. And he announces that there's going to be no charges. By now you've heard this. You've heard it a hundred times. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the uh, case itself. It has to do with uh, classified documents. But what has caught everybody is some of the language that he used to explain why that there were no charges. Reading from the report here, we have also considered that at trial, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury as he did during our interview him of him as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. By the way, that's exactly how I view him. Based on our direct interactions with and observations of him, he's someone for whom many jurors still want to identify, will want to identify reasonable doubt. It would be difficult to convince a jury that they should convict him by then a former president well into his 80s of a serious felony that requires a state, a a mental state of willfulness. We conclude the evidence is not sufficient to convict, and we decline to recommend prosecution of Mr. Biden for his retention of the classified Afghanistan documents. Now, this is incredible. For the special prosecutor, 
somebody that doesn't seem to have a political axe to grind, of course, now that he came out with this report, even though he didn't charge Biden, you're going to have all sorts of people try to portray him as a Republican hatchet man. But, you know, it seems like he conducted this report pretty fairly. Um, he, he'd seemed to the jury an elderly man with a poor memory, incapable of committing a crime that requires a mental state of willfulness. This is incredible. I have said that the reason I thought President Biden should do a Super Bowl interview is to put these doubts to rest. What this does, this report, puts these doubts front and center. Now, everybody's talking about this. First of all, people already felt this way about Biden's ability to do the job. Now, this is all they need. This is like confirming everything they fear. I want to talk about not the legal aspect of it, but the political. Because I have said repeatedly, I don't believe Joe Biden won because anybody wanted to vote for Joe Biden. I believe, and I can tell you this with my friends and my family members that voted for Biden. People that voted for Biden did so because they viewed him as an alternative to Trump. The people that voted for Biden would have voted for anybody. Not named Trump. They just viewed him as an alternative to Trump, and this is who they uh, they were stuck with. My cousin Andrea, for instance, you know, when Biden was being criticized uh, during the uh, 2020 uh, election campaign for not leaving his basement, she would say, yeah, good. We don't want him leaving the basement. Keep him in the basement. We don't want anybody knowing, you know, how uh, how in, how frail he is because we just want him to beat Trump. That's all people viewed him as. And it's amazing to me, and it's been amazing to me, that Biden has been planning to run for a second term. Why he wants to do this, why his family wants to do this, is unfathomable to me. I don't understand why he wouldn't enjoy the rest of his life as a former president with all the incredible trappings that come with being a former president. But he wants to run. He's told people that he believes he's the only Democrat that can beat Donald Trump. For starters, I I give him credit in that at least he's recognizing that Trump has some electoral appeal. So many of the people that don't like Trump, they view him as uh, just this lunatic, uh, this uh, fringe person that got elected um, you know, by hook or by crook, and somehow, you know, he was able to, thanks to either James Comey or Vladimir Putin or both, fake his way into the presidency. And, you know, Al Gore made a similar remark recently as well about uh, w- w- that people should respect Trump voters. But Biden has told people that he believes he's the only Democrat that can beat Trump. I actually think. Biden is one of the few Democrats that can lose to Trump. Here's, by the way, uh, Al Gore on CNN uh, talking about Trump voters. This is a couple of days ago. I respect his supporters, and I think it's really important in this campaign season for people to maintain respect for his supporters. Many of them are, are using Trump as a vehicle to express their anger at how they uh, don't think things have, have been going in the right direction. Gore's absolutely right there. Gore understands that the people that voted for Trump are not aliens. 
They're not all a bunch of racists. They're not all a bunch of people with double-digit IQs. These are people that have legitimate gripes, and they view Trump as the vehicle to channel those gripes, whatever those gripes happen to be, whether it's too much political correctness, too much elitism, um, you know, free trade, the demise of American manufacturing, endless foreign wars, whatever your vision of what's gone wrong in Washington, Trump has been a pretty appropriate vehicle for manifesting those frustrations. Now, I think everybody that voted against Trump in 2020, they would have voted for anybody. Any other Democrat that was running for president that year, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Amy Klobuchar, you know, uh, obviously Tulsi Gabbard is in a special category, but anybody that was running. I think if any other Democrat is the nominee this year, they are going to be in a much better position than if it's Biden. Anybody. And I mean anybody. Gavin Newsom, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, Michelle Obama. Take your pick. Elizabeth Warren. Amy Klobuchar, Roy Cooper, go down the list. I think any Democrat in the country would be more electorally formidable than Biden this year. I mean, maybe not some members of the squad, but anybody else, any mainstream Democratic leader. I think what this report is, follow me here, this is the best possible thing to happen to the Democratic Party. Why? Because now, this is their excuse to push him off the ticket. I don't envision them using the 25th Amendment to uh, remove him from office or anything like that. I don't see that happening. I think this is their opportunity to say to him, look, this is untenable. You can't be part of the, you can't be on the ticket anymore. You can be part of the process in determining who the nominee is, but it's over, Johnny. It's over. So I don't see this. Uh, and you know what? I think it's going to work. I do not believe at this point, after this report, that Biden will be the nominee. So all of these Republicans that are celebrating this report and what it said, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. Because I think what you're going to see here is this is going to be the nail in the coffin for the Biden campaign in 2024, and he will be replaced with someone. I don't know who the someone is. Whoever the someone is will be a stronger candidate than Biden. And I know some Democrats that were celebrating when this report came out, breathing a sigh of relief, saying, oh, finally, finally, we can get rid of him and put Pete Buttigieg on the ticket or anybody else. Those of you that are Republican that think this is great news for you, be careful. Be careful because this could be the nail in the coffin for President Biden. And honestly, for the country, I, I think it's probably for the best. If he's not well enough to face criminal charges, if he's not, well, although what Robert Hur is saying is he wouldn't face these charges for another couple of years because it would be after he was president. But um, if he's not well enough to do a Super Bowl interview, can he really be well enough to be president? I, I don't think so. And I'm not trying to be political. And uh, there's a case, if you love Biden's politics, I understand that. I have a lot of friends that think his accomplishments are substantial. I get it. But um, put that aside. He is not 
capable of doing this job. Unless you think it doesn't matter who's actually in the office. If you think the presidency is just a a, a vessel for whomever is there. You know, and, and I have never been someone that has been banging the drum on Biden being demented or having whatever people ascribe to him. You know, I, I was always leery of um, Biden because, but he always had, had gaffes, right? You go back years and he always had these silly gaffes that he would make. Some people are just gaff prone. But um, and then I thought to myself, okay, well, he's had those brain aneurysms. Sometimes those aneurysms do stay with you later in life and do certain things to your brain. I don't know what's causing the situation that he's in now. I don't know if it's age. I don't know if it's related to the aneurysms. I don't know if it's something else. He's clearly not capable of doing the job. And now when it, the problem is you can't make a statement like this without people assuming it's political. And you're going to have people say, oh, well, Trump, he's showing mental decline. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he is. You know, this is far from an endorsement of Trump. But uh, I don't think uh, that you can be enthusiastic about Biden's candidacy, given what is in this report. Now, Biden spoke to reporters last night. Uh, he disagrees. He said he is just fine. This is what he said last night. That's that's your memory has gotten worse, Mr. President. My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Peter Ducey also asked President Biden about his memory. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because... In his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. That's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. That's uh... I mean, there you have it. That's Biden's denial. So my question for you is, if you're a Democrat, do you view this as the opportunity to get Biden off the ticket? 800-848-9222. If you're a Republican, do you view this as bad news, as I think you should? Because I think this will allow the Democrats to put a much stronger candidate on the ticket. I don't know who that'll be. And if you're an independent, if somehow this does end up being a Biden-Trump rematch, a, bot- a battle of the octogenarians or one almost octogenarian, is this the best scenario possible for a third-party candidate? I kind of think that it is. Let me know what you think. 800-848-9222. Um, let me know what you think. I- I've said enough. A- 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to uh, Tom on Long Island. What's on your mind, Tom? Hey, uh, hey, thanks, Mr. Marino, for answering my call. Uh, let's think in a macro perspective. Marino. Let's pretend and think that Trump is guilty of everything, and so is Joe Biden. What just transpired in the last 24 hours is a magnificent thing for the DNC, which really controls the Biden administration, because as far as I'm concerned, Joe Biden is really not president, but it's the administration behind him that controls it. What the most important thing is about this case is they found him not guilty of doing this and that, but they transcribed that 
when they answer when they asked him questions, he couldn't remember when he was vice president, this and that. That obscures him from any future legal ramifications of being guilty of anything. Right, but that's a, this that's one. A lot of people, that, Joe, yeah. that's what I haven't heard. I, I, I know yeah. you were talking about that. Right. But that is the key thing because that's on record right, now. Right, but Tom, but Tom, but that's. Tom, department. Uh, Tom, thank you. That's what one prosecutor said, right? So if, um, and look, I, I, we're not in the habit of this country until recently of prosecuting former presidents anyway, so uh, forget what I was about to say. But um, that's what one prosecutor said. So another prosecutor might have found him competent enough to be charged. So just because Robert Herr didn't find that he was competent enough, well, he didn't use the word competent. He said that uh, he would appear to a jury to be um, an elderly man, a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory um, and likely not having the criminal intent necessary to uh, commit the kind of crimes here, even though these documents were mishandled. 800-848-9222. Michael, what's on your mind? Hey, Frank, a couple of things. Number one, uh, you have to remember that uh, Biden was the one many, many years ago that prevented the integration of schools in his district. Right. I remember Kamala Harris bringing that up, saying she was that girl on the bus that he that he forced. Yeah. Well, forget about her. Um, also. He he praised Robert Byrd, who was a Ku Klux Klan person. He was deep into right. Him. So so what, what's your he, point, Michael? He, wrapped, he ruined. Uh, thank you, Michael. The, yes, uh, I'm well aware of the career, the life and times of Joe Biden. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Anthony, what's on your mind? Yeah, what's going on, Frank? I just want to know. I just want to understand that. What the hell are we talking about? We're talking about the president. I'm saying it's hard to hear all this, and I understand, and he's a well-meaning elderly man, and I'm not trying to judge anyone. But come on, man. Talking about the guy, I'm, us as a citizen in this country, what the heck are we meant to think? That yeah, the president, I mean, the one that's making decision, the one that has the nuclear code, doesn't is, is forgetting things. Anthony, I think I find it very troubling. I, I really do, and uh, I think. Uh, you know, Dean Phillips has tried to make this case in the primaries, and his message has gone nowhere. His message has gone nowhere. So I uh, I think this might be the opportunity for the Democrats to get him off the ticket. By the way, I'm going to get back to your calls in a second. We're going to talk with uh, Kelly Wienersmith in just a minute. She is um, she, she's a, a, an academic, a scientist, and uh, a professor who has said we should think twice about colonizing Mars. We're going to get into this in just a bit. And, you know, all these people, Elon Musk included, were, uh, they're all gung-ho about setting up a Martian colony. Is that wise? We're going to get into it with her. 800-848-9222. David in the Boogie Down Bronx, what do you think of all this? Yeah, good morning. Okay. We've somehow entered a stage where prosecutors decide not to prosecute someone and instead of just coming out and saying that, they issue reports where they throw in all kinds of extraneous details made to, look, to make the person look bad. This Trump-appointed uh, attorney basically put out a hit piece on President Biden unfairly. If you can't convict a man based on the evidence, you can't come out and say, well, I couldn't convict him because he's a sympathetic old man with memory problems. 
The real problem here is that President Biden actually sat down and let himself be interviewed by this person and his staff. President Trump never sat for any interviews by prosecutors. Well, that's the big difference. By the way, they mentioned that in the report. They said, you know, in talking about the difference between why Trump should have been charged and Biden shouldn't, they point out that Biden uh, cooperated fully with the special counsel investigation, whereas Trump obstructed the investigation at every turn. That's in the report. Exactly. Exactly. But people, the president saying that. That's something that you just said. I haven't heard that from anybody on, on the station that you're on. And the other important thing to remember is this. OK, I acknowledge President Biden is an 80 year old man. OK, he is typical of an 80 year old person. Donald Trump is 77. He will be 80 if he becomes president again. And he has his own cognitive issues, of which there are many. I could put together a tape of Trump making all kinds of mistakes. OK. That's something to be considered. But this notion that Democrats are going to push a sitting president off of the ticket, it's not going to happen. And I believe President Biden is a patriot. If he looks at his internal polling data and it shows that he can't win, he would not run. Okay, so I believe and I'm an enthusiastic Democrat. I've been a Democrat my entire life. Okay, and I gave money to Biden when he ran against Trump. It's something I've never done before. Okay. It's important if you're a person who believes in democracy, because Donald Trump is the greatest threat to democracy this country has ever faced. Well, and I know you don't agree with it, but there's a lot of us who do believe yeah, that. No, I know that. And, I, I know that. But, David, let me ask you this. So if yeah. you, I'm curious about your take that if Biden saw in his own internal poll numbers that uh, that he couldn't win, then he wouldn't run. You know, you see the same poll numbers that are released publicly. Obviously, that's not what he gets. He probably gets some, you know, super duper poll numbers, uh, you know, uh, put together by professionals. But almost every poll is now showing that he's trailing in almost all of the key swing states. I mean, at what point does he say enough is enough? Let me pass the mantle to somebody else. Okay. I agree with you at a certain point that could be possible. But looking at the current polling, we're almost how many months are we out? Eight months or 10 months from the the next election. That's a world of difference. And I think people need to be reminded and they haven't had a chance to do this yet. People need to be reminded exactly what this country was like at the end of the Trump presidency, because the economy was a disaster. Trump mishandled the pandemic. There was division. Trump is a divider. There were so many things that went wrong that President Biden has fixed. Okay, look at the state of the U.S. economy compared to the rest of the world. Look at the supply chains. Do people really believe Donald Trump could have fixed all of that? Well, David, I I think that that is what you just described is the totality of the Biden campaign, which is that Trump sucks and I'm not Trump. Right. I, I think that is a message much better delivered and much better sold by someone that doesn't have Biden's baggage, whether the baggage is fair or unfair. I mean, what did you make of uh, Robert Hur's analysis in the report that um, Biden had these significant memory problems, couldn't remember when he was vice president or when his son died or or things of that nature? Okay, I'm assuming that President Biden had attorneys with him when he did this interview. And you know, when people give interviews to uh, prosecutors, they give very vague and non-specific answers. That's just the nature of the beast. 
I question the validity of those statements in that report. And I think the Biden people need to push back on this aggressively, because in my opinion, it's clear that this Trump appointed person went out of his way to to try to do the Biden uh, campaign in on behalf of Trump. Because, like I said, we. but if that were the case, though, David, if that were the case, why wouldn't he have recommended criminal charges? Because he can't, you couldn't, he could recommend anything he wants. He would not be able to get them through a grand jury. That's why. And let's be honest, President Biden did not obstruct the investigation the way that Donald Trump did. Well, no, yeah, and her her said that. That's why I I think, and David, thank you for the call. I got to run. But I think the, I think this is a fair report. I really do. I don't think he was looking to hang Biden. I think he interviewed Biden with an open mind. And this is the culmination of his investigation. You know, again, if it's almost like what James Comey did with Hillary Clinton uh, at the time, which, you know, we can discuss Comey till the cows come home. But w- what he said here, I-, I don't understand how there's no charges for the ghostwriter who d- deleted audio recordings, which de- looked to me like a deliberate attempt to obstruct. But but that aside, he seems like he like he was being fair didn't recommend criminal charges, but he explained why. I think uh, this report has a lot of credibility, and I think while it may seem like this is a gift to the Republicans, it's not. This is going to be the uh, the thing that the Democrats need to push him off the ticket. Mark my words. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Kelly Smith joins us to talk Mars straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. She packed my bags last night, pre-flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm going to be high as a kite by then. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We've got a lot of problems on this planet. You don't need me to list them for you. There are problems with climate change. There are problems with natural resources and concerns about the future of things like water and other things. There are problems, or at least people believe there may be problems, with overpopulation in the future. So what comes next? Well, for a whole lot of people, and I think a lot of Americans have been thinking about this since Ray Bradbury wrote The Martian Chronicles, the answer is obvious. The answer is colonizing somewhere otherworldly. And the place that gets looked to most frequently is Mars. Now, we talk about other places, but when we actually talk about colonies on other worlds, The one that most frequently gets mentioned, maybe it is because of the Ray Bradbury book or the recent William Shatner reality show, Stars on Mars, the place that gets talked about most often is Mars. Well, there is a very accomplished uh, intellectual, educator, scientist, best-selling author who says, well, wait a minute, maybe we should pump the brakes or at least think about this before we go full throttle with colonizing 
Mars. I'm very pleased uh, to welcome to the program Dr. Kelly Wienersmith. She's an adjunct faculty member in the Biosciences Department at Rice University and a best-selling author whose newest book is A City on Mars, Can We Settle Space? Should We Settle Space? And Have We Really Thought This Through? Kelly, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be on the show. Kelly, why has there always been so much interest in going to Mars? I very rarely hear people talking about putting colonies on Neptune or or Pluto, that former planet that we, we miss so much. Why is Mars special? Well, you know, all of space is super inhospitable to humans, but Mars is maybe the least inhospitable. It's got the most of the stuff that humans need to survive. So if we're hoping to set up a settlement that is going to be able to survive, for example, the death of Earth one day, Mars is our best shot at doing it. It has lots of water. The temperature is pretty reasonable. Uh, it's got almost Earth-like days and nights. It's got just a lot, of the, a lot of good stuff that we could turn into habitats and that we could use to start a new settlement. How serious is the talk of otherworldly colonies in general and on Mars specifically? talk to. So if you're talking to Elon Musk, for example, he would tell you that we can have boots on the ground on Mars in, you know, a couple years. And then a couple decades after that, we can have up to a million people living on Mars. And it's possible that we could have rockets that could do that. Uh, but I think we'd be just sending people to Mars to die because there's a lot of things that we haven't had figured out yet that we need to uh, have figured out if we're actually going to be trying to survive. And in particular, have babies and families on Mars. And if you're talking to Jeff Bezos, uh, then he will also would also be telling you that, yes, settlements can become a reality, but he's pushing for rotating space settlements. So there are these giant cylinders that rotate, that uh, simulate Earth gravity so that we can have a gravity like the one that we evolved with. Uh, so I, I think they both say that these are realistic uh, options, but maybe their time frames differ a little bit with Musk thinking it could happen sooner. So l- let's address some of the questions you ask in the title of your book. Uh, one would think, of course, we should settle space, right? I mean, it'd be nice to have another option of another place that humans can live on if we do something either through nuclear war or uh, something else that makes this planet inhospitable. Do you share that conventional wisdom that, of course, we should look outward? would be great for us to look outward, but I think we need to be cognizant of time frames here. So if we're going to be trying to set up a self-sustaining community on Mars, and we're really having a backup plan for humanity by doing that, then that civilization would need to be able to like completely stand alone. So if something catastrophic happened to Earth, it got hit with a giant asteroid, for example, the people on Mars would need to be able to survive without ever getting another resupply from Earth. And a big point of our book is that that is probably going to take generations. You know, I can't imagine, you know, with these completely these these habitats that are so, so like exquisitely or sensitive to technological requirements that they're going to be able to make computer chips uh, on Mars in the foreseeable future is pretty unlikely. And so what we need to do is start thinking very long term. So if we want to set up a civilization on Mars that could survive the death of Earth, then we need to be figuring or, you know, thinking about the steps that we need to take. And in particular, we need to be careful to make sure that anything we do as we move out to Mars doesn't increase the risk uh, to Earth or to, to the species and the, pe- the people that are left behind uh, on Earth. And there are a couple reasons to think that going to Mars increase existential threat on Earth. 
So, for example, going and moving out in space to space probably is going to require being able to move things like giant asteroids around so that you can get the ooh. resources that are in those asteroids. Right. Yes. Yeah, so you said, ooh, that is a bit of a scary thought. The dinosaurs, it didn't work so well for them. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, you worry, you worry a bit about, you know, for example, dictators who are wanting to attack another country, but... I'm not so worried that they would be slinging asteroids at Earth because the risk that there's some like blowback is pretty high. But then if you think about terrorists or even just accidents, you know, humans make a mistake in their calculations and they get too close to Earth and the asteroid comes hurtling towards us. It's just you got to be careful when people have access to that much, much mass in the gravity well above Earth. And then finally, you got to worry about conflict between nuclear powers and, you know, China and the U.S are two space powers that also have nuclear weapons and the international law regime for space is pretty unclear. And so you'd hate to see this being something that we fight over. Is there another planet that you might like better for a potential human colony one day? I read an article last week that they discovered what they're calling a a super earth somewhere that might be in that sweet spot of being habitable. Is there somewhere else other than Mars that might work out better that doesn't involve risking moving asteroids and hurting life on this planet? Well, you know, if we could get humans to other solar systems, I do feel like that would mitigate a lot of the risk that we would have, you know, back here on Earth. But unfortunately, at the moment, the tech, we just don't have the technology to visit other solar systems uh, and to, you know, get our humans there alive. Uh, in terms of other options on this solar system, you know, the moon is not, you know, not a planet, but the moon is a place where we could try to learn some of this stuff. But the moon doesn't have a lot of the things that we need to survive. So, for example, it has some water, but not a lot. It would be hard to sustain a civilization there permanently. Uh, But it is a place where we could go to learn how to create habitats that don't break down and can, you know, do well in the space environment, which has massive temperature swings and is exposed to more radiation than we're exposed to here on Earth because we have a lovely magnetosphere and atmosphere that protects us. Um, So we could learn on the moon, but probably not going to have a self-sustaining civilization there. We did see some proposals for um, living on Mercury. So Mercury Mm. is the planet that's closest to the sun. So it is very, very hot there. Uh, But the proposal was that if you go, uh, if you have a settlement that tracks the spot where day meets night, there is a temperature band there that is survivable. And so as long as your society is constantly moving to track that spot, then you won't get fried. Uh, And that doesn't seem like a fun way to live to me. So I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not pushing for mercury. So there's not a lot of other good options in our solar system. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Kelly Wienersmith. She's the author of uh, the new book, A City on Mars. Can we settle space? Should we settle space? And have we really thought this through? Kelly, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, one of the people that's been banging the drums on uh, colonization of Mars for a long time is a real space pilot pioneer and uh, I think a genuine American hero, and that's Buzz Aldrin. Now, Buzz Aldrin is a little quirky, but he's got not only common sense smarts, but you know a lot of scientific smarts as well. He has said we should absolutely make this a priority, even if it means the people are never coming back. Is Buzz Aldrin not seeing something about the realities of the timing of this that you are? Oh, yeah. So that's a great question. So no doubt about it, Buzz Aldrin is brilliant. And a lot of the engineers and the physicists who think about this question focus on things like, well, 
what trajectory should we take to get there and how long is it going to take to get there and you know the the physics and the engineering sides of things uh, and there's still some problems to be worked out there but we're we're getting close to figuring a lot of that stuff out uh, but it gets a little bit trickier when you get to questions about biology so if you were if you were to ask me you know is it is it ethically acceptable to send a bunch of adults who have been uh, completely caught up to date on what we know about the risks and they know that they might die and we send them on a one-way trip, is that okay? I would say, yeah, sure. Adults have a right to make their own decisions. But when we're talking about settlements, we're talking about having, you know, babies and children in space. And at the moment, we actually have very little data on how space in a place like Mars is going to impact the human body. So, you know, the International Space Station has had astronauts on it for decades and there were space stations orbiting Earth even before that. So we know a lot about how adults can handle space for about a year or less, but when they're orbiting Earth, they're protected by the magnetosphere and space has very different radiation than we have here on Earth. So we actually know hardly anything about how the radiation you experience in space and you would experience on a place like Mars, uh, how that impacts human bodies and cancer risks. And we also don't know about life in partial gravity, which is you know somewhere between the gravity we have on Earth and the gravity you experience when you're essentially in free fall orbiting the Earth on the International Space Station, which we know is very bad for bones and muscles and for vision. Are, are there other indications that we haven't thought this through? The biological aspect, the timing aspect, which, you know, obviously both of those are pretty important. The asteroid moving around aspect, which is pretty frightening. Are there anything else that we're missing that when we talk about, you know, dreaming of living on Mars one day, people should keep in mind? love to see us spending a lot more money and a lot more time and energy thinking about uh, what are called closed loop ecosystems. So the idea here is that you're recycling as much of everything as you can. So, you know, the urine is being given to the, to water the plants and the plants are absorbing the carbon dioxide that you breathe out and they're generating new oxygen. And that's what you're eating. And just figuring out how to recycle all of the stuff that we extract from Mars or we bring from Earth is going to be really important because it will always be super expensive to ship stuff from Earth to Mars. So whatever you ship, you want to use as many times as you can. And for the foreseeable future, it's going to be hard to extract resources on Mars. And importantly, it's six months to get to Mars. And then because of orbital mechanics, you have to stay there for a year because Mars is pulling away from Earth and getting farther and farther away. So you've got to wait for Mars to start coming back towards Earth. And then it's six months back. So if it turns out that your equipment breaks at a year and a half, you're on your own. You're not going to be able to get any resupply from Earth. And where we are for understanding how these systems work is is pretty kind of abysmal. So like probably the most well-known example was Biosphere 2, which was this 1990s experiment where there was this giant glass geodesic right. dome. Yeah, made in Arizona, three acres big. And uh, the people in there lost 10 to 16 percent of their body weight over two years. They split into two hateful factions and were literally spitting on each other. So there's some psychology stuff we might want to figure out. Uh, they tried to keep out species that were undesirable. And accidentally, they introduced the only scorpion in the United States that's lethal. Uh, and they had to pump oxygen in, in at one point because they didn't have enough breathing gas. So there's a lot we still have to learn. And there are a bunch of other smaller scale experiments where, you know, we still haven't managed to figure out how to recycle well enough. And I just think there's a lot of stuff that we need to figure out that we can't figure out very quickly and people aren't investing in enough to get the answer soon enough for us to start a, 
you know, self-sustaining Martian civilization in the next decade or two. So, so at the pl- at the current moment, the uh, there are mm-hmm. no imminent plans to embark upon this. The only person that seems ambitious enough to do this in the short term, is, and maybe with the resources, is Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And Elon Musk uh, has has famously said that his job is to make the rockets to get there. And he expects other people to figure out the other problems, which is totally reasonable. I don't think it should be Musk's job to solve every problem related to space settlement. But I I do think that it's important to be aware that the other fields aren't keeping up with the rockets. uh, And we really don't want to make sure we know a lot in many different areas before we actually start this, this big journey. Um, you also wrote an article of, a couple months ago for the New York Times saying space billionaires should spend more time thinking about sex. Is, how come? Is it because of the same issue here that they're not thinking about how future generations will survive in these environments? Yeah. So, you know, we, we've already talked a bit about how, how little we know related to biology in space. And those problems are magnified when you're thinking about reproduction. And there have been very few experiments. Like, for example, we have never sent, uh, you know, a rodent colony up into space and like just watch to see how they did for a few generations. Experiments have always been, you know, like we'll send a gecko up for a week and some quail eggs up for three days and then rats up for like, I don't know, six days. And it hasn't really been systematic. And, you know, partly that's because the International Space Station wasn't sent up explicitly to prepare us for space settlement. It was more of like a geopolitical thing and, you know, an inspiration thing, too. But the goal hasn't been to prepare us for settling space. So it hasn't been collecting the kind of data that we need. Uh, and so, you know, to us, it seems like if you just send people to Mars without, I don't know, for example, setting up a research station on the moon and studying rat colonies and then sort of scaling up to humans when you're close enough to, like, send everybody home if things go catastrophically wrong, it, you know, it seems ethically perilous to, to be doing those experiments on Mars rather than getting the data beforehand. Well, it makes sense. I'm curious. Do you, I'm sure you saw the film The Martian. Uh, I asked an expert recently what they thought the most realistic film having to do with space travel or anything like that was. And this person said The Martian. I'm curious, do you agree with that? So I am the wrong person to ask that question to because I so I watched The Martian before I started researching the book. And uh, what I remember from the book is that like, yeah, it was it was pretty much going about how I would have expected. It was doing pretty good at matching up with the science, but I... I haven't watched it again since I know, or now that I know everything gotcha. that I know about space. Yeah. Gotcha. Fair enough. Uh, lastly, let me end with this just because it's something a lot of people are curious about, including me. And I'm curious where you come down on this. And then I have a, a follow-up question based on your, your answer. Uh, the, the whole country, maybe the whole world is enveloped in UFO fever, right? Congress is holding hearings on this. We've seen uh, a lot of, you know, very credible people speak out on this, a lot of money being invested in exploring whether or not, you know, extraterrestrials have visited this planet. Where do you come down on this question? Do you have an opinion? I don't have an opinion on the question of whether or not extraterrestrials have visited the planet. I am aware that there has been a lot of talk about it lately, but to be honest, I haven't really been following and, uh, you know, thinking about how I feel about the evidence that's been presented. I think there's almost certainly life out there. There's just way too many other solar systems with potentially potentially habitable planets for there to not be. But I, I don't know about uh, whether or not I, I believe the recent uh, 
evidence that there's been UFOs visiting us recently. Yeah. The, the reason I ask is because of what you said about what it would take to get to Mars and what that might do to life on this planet. Because one of the theories behind Fermi's uh, paradox, w- meaning, you know, why haven't aliens visited us? If they haven't, let's assume for the purposes of this discussion, they have not, is that by the time a civilization gets to the point of being spacefaring and travel those dif- distances, they kind of do something to blow themselves up or destroy themselves. And uh, that would seem to be uh, part of the problem with a Martian colony as well. Who knows? Yes, yes. It's certainly something we should be careful about. I, I think that the, the risks of settling Mars are sort of underappreciated, which is uh, one of the points we hope to get across with this book. Well, uh, the book is A City on Mars, Can We Settle Space, Should We Settle Space, and Have We Really Thought This Through? It's available on Amazon and uh, wherever else books are sold. Its author, Dr. Kelly Wienersmith, has been kind enough to join me this morning. Kelly, thanks so much. Best of luck with the book. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Five minutes until the top of the hour. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Going to get to your calls in just a moment. 800-848-9222. I I still am fighting this cold, which uh, I should be hopefully done with by uh, tomorrow. You know, it's not too bad. Hopefully it doesn't sound too bad. I'm trying to keep my voice at a, a... even pitch and not raise it too much. When when it raises, that's when you when it when it's a little bit more noticeable. Today, my son's school. Now, my son's only been in school for a little while, preschool, but I guess it's the one hundredth day of school for their school. Even though he hasn't had a hundred days of school, the school itself has had a hundred days. So they're doing something fun. I don't know that. Um, I don't know that. Everybody does this, but I think it's fairly common. The teacher sent home a note saying that they're asking all of the children to dress like they're 100 years old for their 100th day of school. So we really didn't have much to give them. Um, So we we gave them a bow tie. We're going to put on uh, suspenders and then sort of a newsboy cap if he wants to wear it. But other than that... 
not really sure what, what else. My wife was looking at stuff that she could buy online. And then we said, do we really want to spend, you know, 40 or $50 for these props, which he probably doesn't care about. It's not as if he's going to be peer pressured from the other two-year-olds and thinking, oh, they're all dressed like a 100-year-old and I'm not. So uh, that's pretty much all we're going to do. The bow tie, the suspenders, the newsboy cap, which I'm sure he'll take off. And I said, well, you know, a lot of times when I used to try to age myself before my hair was naturally gray, I would throw baby powder in my hair and it would make it look gray. I said, why don't we do that? Why don't we throw some baby powder in his hair that might make it look gray? And she said, that would work for your hair, but Carmine's hair is already blonde. If you throw baby powder in blonde hair, it doesn't really look gray. It just looks, it just looks white. So, you know, I guess hopefully the... His peers don't pick on him for not sufficiently looking like a 100-year-old. But my neighbor across the street, he's six years old, and I think they're doing the same thing at his school. So I guess this is a thing now. This was never a thing when I was in school, but I think that's fun. Uh, 800-848-9222. Robert is in Manhattan. Hi, Robert. Good morning, Frank. Fascinating interview. Thank you. I wish wish I'd heard the beginning. I got a question for you. Well, what were you doing? How come you didn't hear the beginning? Because I was on the phone, I had, a, I had an urgent situation with my all brother. All right, all right, we'll give it to you. Sorry. All right, yeah. Anyway, um, if we're going to establish a permanent city on Mars, number one, would this be a truly international grouping? Uh, who's who's going, who's running this? Us? Some other country? My question, Frank, is what legal code or system would we use? It isn't as if there's a federation council that you can go to, like in Star Trek or some other, you know, futuristic series. What what law applies out there? Well, first of all, based on what um, Kelly said, it sounds like we're a long ways away from getting there. But I guess it depends on who set up the colony, right? I mean, if it was set up by uh, someone, I guess it would depend on the rules, whether it was a private company or a government, of whoever was setting it up. But beyond that, I don't have a I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. Hopefully these people would find a way to govern themselves kind of like the pilgrims did in the in the with the Mayflower compact. All right. 800-848-9222. We got denunciations coming up and a whole lot more. This is the other side of midnight. Until next hour, keep asking questions. <laughs> 